Have you ever had an alien invade your body? I am in the eighth month of this, my second pregnancy, and I definitely feel a little invaded. I asked my husband when I got dressed this morning whether you could tell that I was pregnant because I wanted to make sure people would know. <laughs> I think I passed that point a few months ago. Both of my babies have been very active, and so by this point in the pregnancy, I spend much of my time, let's say, noticing this being that has taken over my body. An elbow here, a foot there, she is making her presence known, and in a way, I can't ignore. And, of course, she really has taken over my body not just as a kind of parasitic organism, although let's be honest, that's not a bad description of the situation, but also in the way that so much of the time I now spend thinking about my body is really thinking about her, thinking about what she needs and whether she's safe and when she'll arrive. A colleague who is even more pregnant than I put it another way, as the days past her due date marched along and she wondered whether her baby would ever make its appearance. I find it so strange, she said, not to know when my body will suddenly take over my life. Pregnancy can certainly bring a heightened awareness of how we are at the mercy of our bodies. But the truth is, pregnancy is by far the only state that reminds us of this fact. All of us are at the mercy of our bodies. These vessels that transport us through life and eventually lead us out of life, too. For some of us, our bodies are a source of pleasure and pride, doing what we want them to do, when we want them to, carrying us on strong legs and at just the pace we like. For others of us, perhaps for most of us, our bodies are at times a source of disappointment, or fear, or pain, or even self-hatred. Or a source of denial. Plenty of us try to ignore our bodies, to ignore either the aches and pains or to ignore the mere existence of a body itself. As inheritors of the Western philosophical tradition, we come by a kind of dualism honestly, the desire to separate the life of the mind from the life of the body, to imagine that we are beings that can exist on a purely cerebral level without the annoying hang-ups of our bodily forms. To which I say, how's that going for you? <laughs> we have yet to actually evolve into creatures with giant brains and little wispy tails of being, as one might see in a science fiction movie. We are instead people with decidedly physical natures, and no matter how much we may pretend, those physical natures are a huge part of what makes us who we are, what makes us human, even when they don't feel like they are our own. The first time I felt my body had been invaded was actually a couple of years before my first pregnancy. I was diagnosed just a few months before I got married with a desmoid tumor in my shoulder. It's a rare, aggressive, but benign tumor, which means it doesn't metastasize as cancerous tumors can, but it does invade the bone and tissue around it. Mine wasn't caught for a little while because we thought it was just tendinitis from hauling my computer bag around. 
And so when a doctor finally ordered an MRI, it was about the size of an egg in cross-section, sitting in the middle of my rhomboid muscle and tangled up in some nerves. Many of you, I know, have had the experience of finding your body invaded by a tumor or a cyst or some other essentially foreign object, or have seen your loved ones and friends struggle with a similar experience. It's a funny thing going into surgery to remove something like that, because, at least for me, there is both the fear and loss associated with any major surgery, and also a sense of some satisfaction that if all goes well, the invader is out and you can move on with your body as it once was, or as it almost once was. My surgery and then radiation were successful, but unfortunately the surgeon had to remove most of that rhomboid muscle that had been housing the tumor. My dreams of becoming an Olympic kayaker are definitely over. <laughs> Conveniently, I never had those dreams. Inconveniently, it's also a little painful to stir a pot or do anything that keeps my arm at a right angle. We end up, either from the moment we are born or over the course of a lifetime, not always with the bodies that we dream about or wish for. And it doesn't take something as dramatic as a tumor invading our tissue to give us a less than perfect body. More often, it's our own body breaking down or aging or turning against itself. My family is prone to autoimmune disorders. That's the group of diseases that include rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, Graves' disease. The funny thing about autoimmune disorders, which strike a number of women particularly, is that what happens is that your body misidentifies itself as an invader and starts attacking its own cells. I'm very lucky that my disorders are well controlled by medication and don't affect my life much, but when I find that I, when I do have to pay attention to them, when I have an appointment with a specialist or when I'm tired and it flares up, it's often the very idea of them that takes me aback. What is wrong, I think, that I can't trust my own body to recognize itself properly? What kind of messed up body is this if it keeps attacking itself? I think we all ask questions like that of ourselves, of our bodies, when they disappoint us. For many girls and women, and certainly for boys and men as well, that disappointment is often centered around weight or aging, around how our bodies look. Eve Ensler, who's best known for the play The Vagina Monologues, followed that up with a play about body image called The Good Body. As she wrote in the preface, she thought that she had finally conquered how she felt about her vagina, only to find that her source of discontent had traveled up to her stomach. <laughs> she wrote, in the midst of a war on Iraq, in a time of torture camps and daily bombings, when civil liberties are disappearing as fast as the ozone layer, why write a play about my stomach? Maybe because my stomach is one thing I feel I have control over, or maybe because I have hoped that my stomach is something I could get control over. Maybe because I see how my stomach has come to occupy my attention. 
I see how other women's stomachs or butts or thighs or hair or skin have come to occupy their attention so that we have very little left for the war on Iraq or much else for that matter. When a group of ethnically diverse, economically disadvantaged women in the United States was recently asked about the one thing they would change in their lives if they could, the majority of these women said they would lose weight." End quote. The obsession with a perfect-looking body is a national one, or maybe a worldwide one. In some ways, I think it takes all of our fears about our bodies more generally. The upset that they don't do what we wish they would, the fear that they will break down as we age, the certainty that they will not last forever, and concentrates them into something we think we have control over. I can't change whether or not I have a tumor, but surely I can get my calves a little more defined, can't I? Of course, there is a piece here about health, about what really does nurture the bodies we have. In the same country where teenage girls are allowed to have liposuction, we have an obesity epidemic that is growing and dangerous. I don't need to lecture to you about the importance of eating well and exercise. You know it, I know it. If we're lucky, we're able to do both of those things. What's more interesting to me is how we feel about our bodies, how we approach them and think about them. My guess is that for many people, the line between overeating and undereating is a thin one, or rather that both of those practices and experiences may be rooted in a kind of self-flagellation, a sense of one's body as not appealing, not deserving of love and care. So here is what I want to say to you today, what I want to say to me on days when I am feeling sorry for myself because of either my chronic disease or my non-chronic but very pokey alien invader. Our bodies are amazing, wonderful. We depend on them, and whether they do what we want them to or not, almost any version of having them function is better than not having them at all. Of course, we don't always feel that way. One of my favorite writers, Anne Lamott, addressed bodies in her book, Plan B, Further Thoughts on Faith. This business, she writes, of having been issued a body is deeply confusing. Bodies are so messy and disappointing. Every time I see the bumper sticker that says, we think we're humans having spiritual experiences, but we're really spirits having human experiences, A, I think it's true, and B, I want to ram the car. <laughs> Our bodies do disappoint us in all kinds of ways, but we still, I think, have to find a way to love them to honor them, to experience them. I think for me, this comes down to compassion. If my body were another person, if I met my body somehow and heard its story, the tumor it had to have taken out, the little struggles of chronic illness, the aches and pains we all have in our day, I would want to give my body a hug. And I would also celebrate with my body marvel that it was producing another human being at the moment, or that it really pretty reliably got itself around life on a regular basis. 
I would say, good job, body. You've had some hard knocks, but I can see that you are, all in all, very well functioning out there in the world. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the author of Women Who Run With the Wolves, says something quite similar, albeit more eloquently than, good job, body. <laughs> she writes, a person must understand the body not as a dumbbell that we are sentenced to carry for life, not as a beast of burden, pampered or otherwise, who carries us around for life, but as a series of doors and dreams and poems through which we can learn and know all manner of things. The body is a being in its own right, one who loves us, depends on us, one to whom we are sometimes mother and who sometimes is mother to us. So if we want to mother, and on this day especially, I hasten to add father, or perhaps just parent, our bodies. If we want to parent and nurture these physicalities that we have, we have to treat them just as we would our own child. Eating well and exercising aren't about defined calves. They're about love for this thing that gets us around. I am no yogi, but I heard something once on a yoga CD that has stuck with me. Be gentle with your body, the instructor said. Thank your body. Show it compassion and gratitude. Stretch in ways that honor it and give it time. Be patient. I think the same can be said for how we touch our bodies. Sometimes I'll find myself absent-mindedly petting my cat as I watch TV or rubbing my daughter's back while she tells me a story. And I'll think to myself, why don't I care for touch my own body this way? Why not give myself a little neck rub or smooth out my tired feet? In Plan B, Lamott tells of going to a spa with Sue, her friend who is dying of cancer. One thing Sue wanted to do before she died was to get a massage, to be touched sensuously again. So we arranged for massages on this Saturday. I'll tell you, she said as we walked to the salon, you don't see a lot of bodies like Sue Schuler's here in Park City, Utah. Sue got a gorgeous masseur from India. He looked like Siddhartha, while I got a tense white German woman. I do love Anne Lamott. <laughs> Sue and her masseur walked off together, and she glanced over her shoulder with the pleasure of someone on her way to her bridal suite. When I saw Sue again an hour later, she smelled of aromatic lemon oils. Did you feel shy at all, I asked. Nah, she told me. Not after I gave him a tour of the bod. <laughs> that image has stayed with me since I first read it, both the touch that this woman craved at the end of her life and the idea of giving a tour of our bodies with all the imperfections we have gained over a lifetime. On my wedding day, I wore the strapless gown I had picked out months before, months before the big day, but also months before I had surgery and radiation on my shoulder. My scar was still angry looking, and it was surrounded by a perfect square of red skin from the radiation. But it never occurred to me to look for another dress. 
Finding a dress to fit your body and shopping is a different platform. <laughs> the few months, that's not why though. The few months before my wedding had been about my experience with that scar and that radiation mark. About my fiance and my parents caring for me as I went through surgery. About navigating the scary moments and feeling grateful for the good news. I can't quite say that I felt proud about the way my shoulder looked. But I did tell the photographer not to shy away from taking pictures from the back. This is what I look like today, I told her. And I don't mind if it's in the wedding album. So perhaps, along with the compassion for self that our bodies require, we also need to honor one of the deepest of ethical culture principles, the uniqueness of each person and the precious worth that only comes out of that uniqueness. The idea that there is some uber body out there, some perfect form that is not only gorgeous to look at, but also disease-free and scar-free and will never age and never fall apart and never move more slowly. This idea is not only a myth, it is a destructive one. It destroys our sense of self. The truth is that everybody is different just as every mind is different and every life is different. My favorite passage in The Good Body, that play by Eve Ensler, is from a monologue given by a Maasai woman. Do I like my body? Do I like my body? I love my body. My fingers, look at my fingers. I love my fingernails, little crescent moons, moons. They lead right up to my arms, so strong they carry things along. And my legs, my legs are long. Maasai people, we are tall, I get there fast. Look at that tree, she says to Eve. Do you see that tree? Now look at that tree. Do you like that tree? Do you hate that tree because it doesn't look like that tree? Do you say that tree isn't pretty because it doesn't look like that tree? You're a tree. I'm a tree. You've got to love your body. You've got to love your tree. Love your tree. Our trees, our bodies are uniquely our own. They carry in them the stories we have lived, the struggles we've experienced. They also carry in them the care that we show them, the way that we feed and nurture them, the way we parent them. Nobody is perfect. Some feel further from perfect than others, I know. I have had my own share of journeys with this body, but I'm aware it still functions pretty well. Some of us have bodies that don't function well at all, that make just getting through the day difficult. Some of us have bodies that have let us down in big ways, that are subject to diseases and experiences that are truly awful. And all of us, all of us, have bodies that will not last forever. But we also only have this one body, this one vehicle to get us through life. And the fact that it gets us around it all still seems to me to be something worthy of our thanks and our compassion. So for just a moment, 
I want you to send a little thank you to your body right now. Wiggle your toes, nobody's gonna notice, or your fingers. Breathe in deep and full. And if it doesn't feel too silly, and it won't if we all do it together, <laughs> give your knee a squeeze or pat one hand with another. How nice of this body to stick around to see you through even the hard times. It is not perfect, but it's yours through thick and thin and alien invasions. It doesn't look just like anyone else's. It occupies space in a way that is only for you to do. Just as you are worthy, just as your mind and your heart and yourself are worthy, so too is your body.